everyone, and welcome to Aishapedia Uncut. With me, your host, Aisha, or as you may know me on social media, Aishapedia. episode we're going to be discussing a topic which has spanned over years and very recently has taken storm on social media. We are and have been living in a society shaped by mass systematic oppression, whether you're a female, even more so if you are black. For too long, the rise in gender-based violence against women and black people have created extreme waves of murder on a global scale. These heavy events have led to the murder of George Floyd at the hand of the Minnesota police officers, the murder of Shukri Abdi, a young Muslim Somali refugee that was consistently bullied and drowned in the UK, and not too far from home in South Africa, the hanging of an eight-month pregnant Zeho Pule. So we're going to be diving deeper into what we, as a global community around the world, can actually do to protect and empower those that are feeling lost and overwhelmed by what we can actually do in a small way to tackle the deeper root of where this malpractice stem from. To do this, we're chatting with a very good friend of mine, Munga Kampamwe, or as you may know him by his stage name, Munga K. And he's currently doing his honors in sociology. And if that wasn't enough, he's an extremely, extremely talented alternative and R&B singer. In fact, he's actually just released part one of his mini album that is available to stream on Apple Music and Spotify, which is called An Ode to Growth. I've heard it and I highly recommend that you listen to it too. Thank you so much for being here to chat with us today, Munga, and helping us you know, tackle some very unsettling problems. Thank you so much for having me, Aisha. I'm very excited to get into the conversation. So let's start off with a very light question. How are you doing today? You know, with everything going on, it's just necessary for me to ask this. Yeah. So, I mean, with everything that's been going on for the past couple of weeks, I've I've been very overwhelmed emotionally, Um, I guess, because I'm a very emotional person. I like to uh, invest and empathize with a lot of people. So I found myself getting really drowned out with the information. It it was it was was just very sad and depressing and it put me in a bit of a spiral. So this past week, I've just been taking a break. I've been meditating. I've been uh, cutting myself off social media for a bit um, and waking up this morning, I feel really, really calm, which is a wonderful feeling. How are you doing? Honestly, I can't imagine how it must have been reading everything every single day and just feeling overwhelmed. But I'm I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that. And it's good to know that today, you know, it's a little bit of a, it feels a little bit more calming. Initially, I was feeling a little bit like what can I do? And this is so frustrating and I'm just so sick of this. And I think one of the things that's actually started making me feel a little bit just more on edge is just how the femicide rates have yeah. just increased. And it's it's actually making me get flashbacks to last year, August, where I would just feel this fear of walking outside after what happened with Uinene. And it kind of puts me on this place of edge. It's really demoralizing as a woman as well in this world. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's it's that's also a very painful thing as a woman. It's obviously it's a, it's an automatic empa, empa, empathizing situation where it's like you it could be you, it could be someone you know in that situation and it just makes it so scary to think that anywhere in this country as a woman is so dangerous to be in and it makes you question you know the safety yeah. of the places you go to or even just like the safety of the men that you're around whether they're just, you know mm. men in normal society or men that are, that are supposed to serve and protect you it's just like where where is it safe for a woman and i and i i'm so sorry 
One of the things that I've really loved about you is that you're such an advocate for feminism and just protection against gender-based violence. And I think you do that even if it's, whether it's through your social media, whether it's through your music, whether it's in person, like you're always talking about this. So I actually wanted to find out what has shaped those principles and values in you, especially as a male. I think I owe it a lot to my mom, who is a very wonderful feminist herself. She doesn't really proclaim it, but I mean, mm, growing up mm. with just the values that she instilled in me and my sisters and also being the only boy, um, it makes it innate for you to be respectful towards women. And that's why it's just a it's just a normal trait for me. It's not something that I have to constantly think about. It's just natural for me because of I guess it's I guess when you bring in that that nature versus nurture conversation, it really is about the environment that I grew up in, the morals that were instilled in me, which unfortunately a lot of boys or men haven't had, you know, the privilege of that environment. But that shouldn't stop you from knowing that respect for women is just automatic. There's no way you can be entitled to, you know, controlling a woman. Exactly. I mean, it's not to say that you need to be growing up with a very sheltered environment, but even yeah. if you're you've brought up with, you know, the hardest of circumstances or if you're going through a really tough time, you know, it's it's still your duty to learn and to educate yourself on how to actually treat a person. Like it's not just about gender; it's literally treating a person right. Exactly, and it's you just you just said um, something interesting that I, I agree with. Even with race, it's you get. I believe you get to a certain age where you have to learn things. You have to know right from wrong. Morally, you have to know what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to treat other people. One's out here to educate a grown man about how to behave. You should know that if your behavior affects someone negatively, then you should figure out yourself how to change that and how to treat people better. Exactly. And I think living in a society that's, you know, got social media, we've got the internet, we've got so many resources at our fingertips where we don't even have to leave our house. Mm. There is no excuse today, I think. I think there's no excuse to learning how to treat a person right. And you've always been somebody that's actually used your platform and your voice as a good way to actually empower that feeling. Yeah. How have you found social media has helped you in terms of, you know, getting your message out there? Do you think social media is the best way to empower a society? Social media for me, it's a really wonderful thing in terms of sharing your message and sharing, you know, truths and everything. But it, it can also be detrimental in the sense where there's so many people out there that love to abuse good things and love to take advantage of good things and, and mm. you know, spread misinformation or, you know, create controversy out of nothing. I think on my mm. side, I've been mm. really fortunate enough to have, you know, the people that follow me on my different social media platforms that actually want to engage with what I'm saying and want to actually listen and learn are really open ears to, you know, unlearning their ignorance and trying to figure out how to be a better person within society. I think for a lot of influencers I've seen in South Africa specifically aren't using their platforms to the best, you know, to the best of their ability. I think it's just it's all about likes and clout and engagement like that. And my question to that is, what are you are you going to take those likes to your grave? Are you going to take those comments, that engagement, that, you know, those statistics to your grave? Is that what people are going to bury with your corpse that's going to disintegrate and turn into ashes? Is that going to change the world? And I know it's ambitious to think that we can change the world, but I truly believe that if you are 
spreading the truth about you know gender based issues and you ch- and you change one man's mm. um thinking capacity on that then you've done a great service i don't know why people think that that's just like a limiting thing like it's it's doing the bare minimum yeah but you're helping advance society in a better way and i wish that more people that had i mean if i had 50,000 followers or 100,000 followers i'd still be spreading the same messages i'm spreading i don't see what the difference is between because i mean there's stupid things like oh it's gonna ruin my aesthetic or it's gonna ruin my um yeah i don't even know these things that they say timeline views or or whatever and i think that's absolutely ridiculous because again when you die you're not going to post. So don't you want, you know, people that want to remember you go back to your profile and say, look, they were spreading this message. They were spreading a lot of wonderful information that can help, you know, change society. It's like when you go on that Facebook remembering so-and-so when they've passed on, you don't want to remember them for, oh, they were like an amazing person to just tell us where to eat and where to travel to and where to spend. You know, what did they do more with what they with their voice? People that are creatives or influencers or whatever kind of public figure platform you have. I know it's a lot of people don't like to assume the role model position or whatever, but I think you need to know that whatever you say or whatever you put out has an influence on other people and how shapes how they think and shapes how they spread that message to their mm. fellow you know people and it's super important that we're spreading positive positive messages and and messages that can you know activate change i think that's super super important especially we're in this critical time where everything is shifting the whole world is shifting revolutions mm. are about to begin ideologies are changing systems are being disrupted and broken down and i think it's super important to be, you know a part of that change if you're not then you know what's the point of having that platform exactly i mean i i think one thing that i've noticed a lot is that last week or actually when they actually hosted you know blackout tuesday where everybody was posting a black square on their instagram post and people were getting called out for not posting or not posting enough resources on their stories not posting enough on their profiles even if they had you know 40,000 followers to 100,000 followers and the basis behind that was that people were like oh you know it doesn't go with my feed it doesn't go with like, you know, that cohesiveness. And, and that's the thing. At, at a time like this, it's not enough to look at like your cohesiveness or aesthetically pleasing things. It needs to be like, yeah, okay, yeah. enough is enough. Like you need to not only disrupt your feeds for this because you got to disrupt the system. Like there has to be some sort of discomfort to get to change. Again, the whole thing about social media is spreading misinformation. It wasn't intentionally a Blackout mm-hmm. Tuesday. It was a, a, a hashtag called The Show Must Be Paused, which was created by two Black women in the States. And it was a hashtag to speak out against the music industry and to have a pause on, you know, releases and and social media posts and stuff like that. And it's insane how quickly things can be so misconstrued and it turned into Blackout Tuesday and then it turned out it turned into Whiteout Tuesday, which again for me <laughs> What is Whiteout Tuesday? I'm so confused. There were white people that were posting white boxes. It's the same response as all lives matter to Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter, which again means that they're trying to deter the conversation from what's truly important. There's no cohesiveness or there's no consistency in, in spreading a message of social justice. I mean, we yeah. still have to keep doing it, but you get those trolls that want to just ruin the conversation. So I wanted to ask you, do you believe in cancel culture or do you think like there's a better way to tackle these ignorant who don't want to take accountability for what's happened or just take accountability for what they can do, especially in terms of like influences and people who have a public 
you know, platform and who are very popular on social media? I live for drama. <laughs> so cancel culture is a tricky conversation because there are people that actually, you know, do want to learn and aren't really aware of how to make those changes, don't really have the proper guidance to do that and are willing to learn. But that also is tricky for me because I think trying to educate people is so exhausting at this point in a world where, as we previously discussed, there's the internet, there's libraries, there's newspapers to go out there and um, educate yourself and, 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 and do better and take accountability for, for the things that you've done. I think we've, we've gotten past the point where we're supposed to force people to learn about themselves. I kind of support cancel culture where influencers and musicians who we've seen, example, uh, what is that, Camila Kipbe, yo. I remember there was a situation where there was a racist Tumblr that they found of hers. She gave an excuse that, oh, I was just 15 and I was young and blah, blah, blah. That's ridiculous to me. I think you are fully cognizant of racial disparities from a young age. So for you to give that excuse and say that I was young, it was wrong of me, you're not taking accountability when there are young people that know better. And you should know Mm. better Then you deserve to be canceled. And I think a lot of people that I believe deserve to be canceled only seek forgiveness from people because they were caught. It's just like, for example, if you cheat on your partner and your partner finds out you're so apologetic, it's because you were caught and you don't sincerely mean that you you won't cheat again or whatever. I mean, maybe I don't know if that analogy is like a sensible one, but I feel like that's how a lot of people that get caught up in cancel culture feel. They don't want to get caught up, you know, in the negative light. Yeah. And people that are caught deserve to be cancelled and deserve to be consistently unsupported. You're listening to Aishapedia Uncut and we'll be right back. Honestly, everything that you've just unpacked right now, from a perspective where you think, okay, if an influencer has done something, you know, very Mm -hmm. derogatory and Mm -hmm. racist and prejudicial in their background and then suddenly they start giving a voice to it and all of a sudden you're like, hang on a second, You know, like you said, the internet is an amazing place. They go and they do this investigation and it's sort of like, well, you're standing on this moral high ground. You want to put yourself out there. You want to say you're an advocate for this because the minute you say something online, you're allowing that exposure to show that, look, this is my feelings. This is that space where I'm in. I don't know if you heard about Leah Michelle from Glee. I don't know if you saw on Twitter the whole drama. Yeah. So she tweeted about, you know, the George Floyd murder and she said he didn't deserve it. And so many past castmates, one of her, I think one of her castmates, she was the one who said, well, remember when you made my life a living hell and you you purposely said you're going to, you know, crap in my wig? If I, if, I mean, it it made such an uncomfortable space. And the thing is, so many people called her out on it after that. They were like, yep, this is how she's treating people. It's like, okay, well, when do your actions sort of match what you're saying? Like, are you just saying it because you want to show people? And I think you're 100% right. People should get canceled. People should be, should get called out on things where you know what they're doing is just to get people's attention. And it's not genuine at heart. Mm. And I mean, even just with Leia. I don't know if you saw her apology or her lack thereof. You're jumping on the bandwagon because everyone's doing it and you want everyone to see you as, you know, an advocate or an activist or whatever. And then you get called out. Your response is to degrade someone else's apology and say, because I think she was like, I'm sorry if you felt that 
I've, that I was bad towards you. She didn't acknowledge the comments that were made. She acknowledged the way that people felt about them. And again, that tells me that you, you don't care. You're literally just being so robotic about all of this. And you, again, you're digging a bigger grave for yourself. It's microaggressions. It's this whole thing that you made the person feel uncomfortable in that space. And you that like she singled that person out. Honestly, I think in that instance, cancel culture is necessary. What do you think holds people back from actually using their voice and questioning these realities behind the oppression and behind the violence, especially against minorities such as black people, women, or even different able people? Like, you know, people always have this prejudicial nature towards them. What do you think holds people back from actually using their voice and questioning these things? I look at it in two ways. I think, firstly, because it doesn't happen to them or someone closest to them, they don't empathize with the situation and they don't feel the need to empathize. They'll just be like, oh, that's too bad. But if because it doesn't hit close to home. And I think that's Again, maybe I'm too much of an empathetic person or maybe a lot of us are too empathetic and some people just haven't been able to tap into that you know, type of feeling. I don't know. I just feel like it should be an innate thing for you to just feel something when someone is hurt. Doesn't matter if you know them, doesn't matter if they're 12,000 kilometers away. It's a human being and they were hurt and you know, you should you should feel some sort of anguish or pain or whatever. But a lot of people feel like it's, it doesn't have, you know, a lot of men with femicide, for example, be like, uh, it didn't happen to my sister or my cousin or my aunt or my mom. So I don't really, you know, care. And that's, it's such a strange way to think in my opinion, we're going to end up waiting for every woman on this planet to face some sort of violence for the men to start standing up for them. And that's ridiculous. And even just race, are we going to wait for every single black man or black woman to be killed for us to say, okay, listen, there's like two black people left on the planet. I think we need to do something about this. Like, are we, is that what we're going to do? And then also secondly, and this is with regard specifically, well, actually, no, it works both ways because I've had conversations with South, white South Africans that, for example, say that they have racist parents or racist grandparents. I still don't get that. You're, you're, these people are still alive, but you feel like it's unnecessary for you to try to convince them to think otherwise because they're already, they've already set their minds in stone. Like, I don't care if your grandma is 80 years old. Get her to unlearn her racist mindset. I think if you're in an environment where racism or sexism or, you know, whatever is prevalent, there is no way you can't tell me that you don't possess even a percentage of that mindset. There is some part of you that revels in that mindset when you're with your family or with the people that think like that. But suddenly when you're with, you know, the people that your community is against, you want to say, oh, I don't feel, I don't believe in those things. I, again, it's, it's, it's very selective for me. What it all boils down to is to having these uncomfortable conversations. Why should you even be questioning the human dignity mm. of a person? It doesn't even matter the fact that you're saying, okay, no, black yeah. people need to be treated with respect. It's the fact that you're discussing that in the first place. Why should it mm. even be a question? You know, it should just be something that is, it's it's why you need to have these uncomfortable conversations, even if you're speaking to, like you said, your idiot grandma, because they're going to think, well, in my day, this, 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 but you have to speak up to kind of feel discomfort again, to exactly. feel that point where, okay, I'm also changing my point of view. When yeah. you call them out, you're acknowledging. And I remember with I remember with gender-based violence last year in August against women, there was this period where people would say, we should stand up against men who do this. 
And the question is that, no, you shouldn't have to worry about walking down the street and feeling like you're catcalled. It's like, don't wait until something has to happen. Like you said, don't wait until there's a murder and a cop suffocates a man to death. It's so important to have those uncomfortable conversations because how else are you going to learn? Like, I know with the, with the, going back to the Black Lives Matter thing, a lot of people were questioning white people in their silence. And I know white silence can be complicity. A lot of white people were like, oh, I know, but I don't know what to say. Or if I say something, it's going to be the wrong thing, blah, 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 blah. But that's fine. Have those uncomfortable moments where you're called out and you're going to learn and you're going to improve and then teach the next white person how to approach the situation better. Your silence is deafening. Speak out. But also with regards to social media, let's say conversations about race and conversations about femicide, it's such a momentary thing. It's always this hashtag thing that trends. We're going to have a conversation about it for a bit. We're going to be like, oh, too bad. Men stop, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly it's silent again. And then we move on until the next thing happens. And I think that lack of consistency is what's still promoting this violent culture that we have in all aspects of the world. And I honestly think that's a systemic thing, because if I think back to just growing up, I don't recall ever having conversations with teachers or with students about sexual assault that tackled the systemic problem, the physical problem of gender-based violence. If we're not treating this at the root level, I don't think because children are children that we can hide the truth from them, the reality of the situation that women are facing. How do we expect the boys at 16 years old to unlearn toxic behaviors that were allowed to be, you know, promoted? Now imagine if we had sexual assault drills where it's like, oh guys, let's, let's put people in a simulation where everyone's just in a panic state, rush them into the lecture hall. Today, we're going to learn about sexual assault. Men don't do this. Rape is this, blah, 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 blah. It may seem simple or it may seem dramatic or whatever, but I promise that could help. That could help men understand that what you're doing or what people within our you know gender species are doing is wrong and we need to be able to call it out i think we need new approaches to these because this whole waiting to go on twitter and even being on twitter men are doing the bare minimum i mean if we're talking about i saw on twitter yesterday men are actually twerking for a ps5 but when it comes to conversations about gender-based violence it's crickets it's silence why are you not as vocal about women that are dying they need to be addressed from the beginning, from when you're young, the more you just make it a social media trend, the more you're sort of just saying like, oh, this is a, this is not a consistent issue. This is not something that needs to be dealt with all the time. They're consistent for the most futile things and like trivial things like a PS5. But when it comes to protecting people, it's, it's horrible. I know a lot of people nowadays, I mean, with obviously the George Floyd murder and people started protesting in the midst of COVID-19. I know in America, it's such a big deal. People are like, oh no, looting versus non-looting. What good are you doing by protesting? This is something that I wanted to ask you. What do you think about this effectiveness of violence versus non-violence protests? Do you think there's a better method of actually spreading this message without protesting? Do you think protesting is very effective? For me personally, I kind of agree with the violence in, in, in the sense where you can keep being peaceful and peace is wonderful, but you can keep being peaceful and keep saying the same things for centuries, however long you can, 
But if that doesn't implement change, then something has to be done differently. And I think looking at America's very, very long history of slavery and racial discrimination and prejudice, and they're tired. Black people are tired. Black people are fed up. Every marginalized community is fed up of not being listened to. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing a video of a woman speaking about, she was like, guys, we, if we wanted revenge, we could, we could take it. We could literally roll up in the streets and take vengeance. All we want is equality. And Black people have been screaming for equality since the beginning of time, since the beginning of, of slavery. And it's, it's come to a point where if you're not going to listen, more power to the people who are going to take it by force. If you look closely, it's white people doing the looting. Majority of them mm-hmm. are, creating, are the ones creating the violence. And there's a video of two Black women trying to tell these white people to stop because at the end of the day, who's going to be blamed for this violence? It's the Black mm-hmm. people. Again, it's this conversation about allyship. White people are coming, well, think they're coming to protest with Black people. And some of them are there for the right reasons. And then the others are just there for, for, for anarchist reasons. And this is not a film where you can just go and steal things and then go back home and pretend like you're going to be safe and everything's going to be normal. You are jeopardizing lives here. Even with with femicide right now. Okay, I remember watching the protests that happened in Cape Town, and I just thought that that was so powerful. And I personally think that even though there is corona in the air and all of that going on, I still think I would probably go outside and, you know, protest because I feel, well, if you're not dying from corona, you're dying from violence. So what is it? Exactly. Like if not dying from a disease, women are still dying from Corona. And then with their men and their husbands, whatever partners that think that they have so much power, it baffles me that a pandemic is not even stopping them. But not even that. It's so simple. Men should stop killing women. There was a man that was was free for being a first-time offender after shooting his wife 15 times. What does that say about our justice system? Even with these conversations, sometimes or most of the time, you don't need to speak. And even a lot of times for myself, as much as I'm an advocate or as much as I'm a feminist, I like to listen more. Because that's the space that women need that space to speak. Marginalized people need that space to speak. And for me personally, I don't want to take the conversation away. Like as much as I speak about these issues, I need women to be the forefront of them because people need to hear it from them. People need, There's so many different narratives from Black women, from, from women of color, from all, all types of women that need to be listened to. And I feel like when I speak mm. on these issues, I'm pulling back away from that. And that's what I feel like a lot of men that try to take the conversation and steer it to this, not all men are trash thing are doing. You're negating the conversation and making it about you. Yeah. And I think just going back to that question of how can we spread this message, you know, it's like you said, it's about listening and it's also about empowering those voices, amplify those voices. And that doesn't necessarily mean you must speak constantly for them, but also just listen to what they have to say. What are they going through? You know, amplify them. Even on social media, people are always saying, well, if you're not posting, if you're not showing this out on social media, you don't care. And that's the thing, you know, people forget there's a life outside of social media. You can be doing so much. You can be donating. You can be, you know, at the forefront of helping. These people are doing things behind the scenes, but I feel social media puts this expectation. And I think people need to remember that social media is not the only way for you to show your message 
like whatever you do on social media, make sure it matches your actions in the real world. People are not consistent, but be consistent in real life. If you're going to take a step back, take that time to learn, read up on what you need to do. We don't want to just empower people online and share everything and not do anything in real life, you know, not doing anything in our workplaces, not do anything in like our homes. It's about doing it in real life. That's where you see the change. That's where you see the difference. I completely agree. I think social media, just, just going back, like social media is not a deciding factor on the values of a human being. Because if we're going back to, you know, the when we go back to the cancel culture conversation, you can post about as much advocacy against, you know, femicide or, or gender-based violence, then Twitter finds out you're a rapist. Your credibility yeah. goes out the window. Keyboard warriors are... It's, it's a confusing thing because, you know, we're in a pandemic. So people that have the privilege of, you know, staying indoors and having uh, Wi-Fi are able to promote messages and truthful messages on social media. And I mean, that's all a lot of people can do now, because personally, I feel like sometimes like if I'm not sharing something, I'm not doing anything to help advance the conversation. Yeah. But it's also like, what more can we do right now? You can share these posts or or try to portray this message of you being this activist. But if you're not implementing this in your daily life, if you're not educating your mm -hmm. racist family, then you're doing nothing. Because sharing that simple post is you're just sharing someone's message and they're the ones that are doing the work. You're doing nothing. So if you're not taking the step back and acknowledging that maybe I need to be more active to be an activist, then you're going to help advance the fight. Social media is a great thing, but it's also a really terrible thing. And I don't know if we're going to be able to find this balance between having these honest conversations, these open conversations that can actually implement change or having these conversations that make you lose your IQ. That's a good spot to actually end off part one of this podcast episode because I feel like there's a lot more that we still need to dive into. But thank you for chatting on part one and I'm excited to dive into part two with you, Munga. Thank you so much for having me. It's very insightful conversations we're having. Mm -hmm.